0: I'm excited, anyway, uh, honored and humbled to be speaking to you at home. Uh, hopefully you are um, being safe and being smart, being wise, and uh, hovered around your laptop, computer, smart TV, your phone. And um, we're going to have a good time today. Uh, you know, Easter Sunday is a day to celebrate. Um, Friday, Good Friday, was a day to remember him on the cross. And we will we will look at that today, obviously, because you can't have Resurrection Sunday without Good Friday. And so we will look at that, what Jesus went through on the cross a little bit as well. But this is a day to celebrate who He is in our life, all right? So we're going to do something special today. We're going to have a um, spoken word from Megan, couple three spoken words, and so it's going to be really good. All right. So um, I also wanted to encourage you, In this season of COVID-19, that continually walk in faith, hope, and love. This thing is coming to an end. I believe what the prophets have spoken, that the Passover is the end of it. And we will begin to see this thing turn. Now, sometimes it takes, just because God does it, it might take governments and authorities a little bit longer to catch up to the word of God. So you might still see some lockdowns, but guess what? This thing's turning. I believe it. And, uh, this, and, and, and and how better a day, I mean, what better a day than on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, that this, that this thing is turning. So we're excited, and um, we'll hopefully have a full church here in the next uh, few weeks is what we're hoping. So pray for that, because you guys need to be here. Yes, amen. Yeah, the 40... Yeah, people have spoken. So so anyway, I wanted to um, touch on that a little bit. So like I said, Easter Sunday, who would have ever envisioned on Easter Sunday all across the world churches sit empty? I put that on Facebook. I said, I'm preaching to an empty church. And then, of course, some really spiritual people wanted to comment and make sure I knew that it's not empty because God is there. So we understand that that's a given. This is a given. God is here, but um, physically, it's physically empty, all right? So um, who would have thought that all across the world, we were on Easter speaking to uh, just a, a, the few, a hand of the few faithful, right? the couple that are allowed in here? Um, and so I'm having fun, dude. I don't know. Like I'm supposed to be somber today. Um, I want you to understand something. Here's what I believe. Your initial reaction to tragedy tells a lot about how you view God. And so the world in this moment is freaking out. I mean, they're freaking out. And they have been freaking out. But how how has the church responded to tragedy? This is what the world needs. They need to see a church bound together in hope, releasing the love of the Father. And saying, we will not bow to fear. Now, our, so listen, if you know the living God and if you are a son or a daughter and you know that when tragedy strikes, it's okay to have sadness and it's okay to be like, whoa, what's happening? But it's never okay to, to live and operate out of fear. So we got to make sure what is our initial response to tragedy and tribulation? What do we first go to in our mind? Is it, oh, is it anger? Is it confusion? Is it doubt? Is it, oh, God, how could you? Or is it, okay, you know what? Here's the deal. I will not walk in fear, and God's going to turn this thing around for my good. And um, so I just want to encourage you in this, as we turn and as we continue to release hope, to just um, let the world know who we are, who you are. The world is watching. They need to know that we trust Jesus. Amen. All right. I love this. I love um, Psalm 4.8. The psalmist writes, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is your promise. The safety of heaven. Man, I remember when I, um, when I went to boot camp, you know, some of you don't know, but I was in the military for three years. I was a Coast Guard, United States Coast Guard reservist, the finest of the military men. That's us. I mean, we are overlooked. Some people don't even know we're a branch of the military. It's the fifth branch of the military. Nobody remembers. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coasties! And I, you know, and I remember um, flying out there, You know, it was like, and I'm one that will typically, um, I take a long time to make a decision. You should see me shopping just for shoes. Mm, It's you don't want to go like if I'm trying to buy something big, a TV or a computer. Man, I do research for months, and it's like, and my wife knows this about me, and she's like, okay, well, what do you what do you think? And she does this, she kind of um, plays along with me, and then I can also be. What do they say when you buy a big item um, and you regret? There's a term for it, huh? Buyer's remorse is my middle name, and man, I have taken so many things back. You name it, and uh, like sh- shoes, especially my, the shoes. It doesn't fit in the store. I get home, and I'm like, it's too small or it's too big, and I, it's, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. Socks, whatever it is, and so I joined the Coast Guard right after 9/11. Coast Guard to be a Coast Guard reservist because I wanted to uh, help uh, protect, you know, our uh, our homeland. And um, and so, I remember signing, swearing in, and signing, and immediately regretting it. And and I went to my car and I thought, what have I just done? And I actually it was about. I didn't have to report to boot camp for three months. And the first time came up, and I said, I'm not going. And she said, Well, you. My my recruiter said you can take the next one. And I'm like, I don't really want to go. You don't understand. Like I changed my mind. You know, like I don't want to go. And she's like, well, you swore in, you signed, and if you leave now, it'll be a like a discharge that you don't want. I'm like, oh man, this is like Satan. This is what is this? Bound to religion. Who are you telling me what I can and can't do? So there is a point to this story, Lee. Settle down. So I remember going to the airport and getting on the plane, and my stomach is and I landed, and then I'm in a bus and I'm meeting some people, and it's like, this is pretty cool for a minute. This is fine. You know, we're meeting, and we have a two-hour ride from Philadelphia to uh, Cape May, New Jersey, where I was stationed, where the boot camp. And I remember getting, not even getting off the bus, but all of a sudden we hear screaming from someone outside, who is this person in this uniform, screaming at us to get, get off the bus. And we get off the bus, and we're being screamed at. And I remember that first night thinking, I am in hell. What have I done? But guess what? The psalm of lying in peace and sleeping uh, in safety was uh, my—I held on to that because everywhere— you go, listen, it doesn't matter where you are or what the circumstance is. God says you can dwell in peace. You can sleep in peace. Psalm 91 says no plague will come near your tent. You don't have to worry about this kind of stuff. Come on, this whole season I've been declaring Psalm 91 over me and my family. I've been declaring peace over me and my family. That this thing will not come near me nor my tent. No disease will come near me or my tent. This is what we have to declare because this is a promise of God. We trust God. So on this Resurrection Sunday, you can be excited to know that Jesus not only raised from the dead, but he gave you the authority over sickness. He gave you the authority over disease. He gave you the authority over depression. Because if he had not resurrected, you'd have no authority. It wasn't enough that he just died. See, when i went to Bible school... There was a, one of the questions, one of the big questions in theology was, what was the purpose of Jesus? What was the purpose of his life? And the correct answer was, like, why did he come? And the correct answer was to die. That was it. That was the answer, to die. I won't, I won't say which Bible college, but that was, the, that was the theological correct. It wasn't to die and resurrect. And I always thought that was weird. Because Jesus would have only completed half of his destiny had he stayed in the grave. Ooh, that'll preach. That's a whole, that's dreaming with God right there. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you can't, like, anyway, maybe we'll do that next week. Yeah, we'll do that next week. I'm looking at Tony. I wanna read from the gospel. I'd like to read from the Bible today. Um, Luke 1, if you have your Bibles, 1 26 through 37. So I wanna, uh, we know the story of Jesus, right? But I want to I dive into it a little bit, look, up, a look at his life, because it took something. He did all kinds of incredible things to get to Good Friday than to get to Resurrection Sunday. His entire life was a life dedicated for you and me, releasing love and hope everywhere he went. And we're going to talk about how Jesus, when he came, he didn't preach the kingdom of hell is at hand. He preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we're going to talk about that a little bit too. In the sixth, uh, Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. He was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And this next uh, scripture is very interesting to me. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And she wondered what kind of greeting might this be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Of God, This is the beginning of the greatest love story ever written. I find it interesting that Mary was greatly troubled at his words, don't you? Here comes an angel of the Lord, Gabriel, says, Sadie, you were highly favored, you were awesome, you were blessed. And you go, what? I'm troubled by these words. Doesn't this happen sometimes in our life? God comes to us and he says, hey, you're a great son. You're a good son. Um, You are highly favored. You are blessed. I have more for you. And we go, what? We're scared a little bit. What does he have for us? What does he have in store for us? Do you need me, Travis? Oh, sorry. I'm getting waved at from the back. I was just getting into this thing too. and I got distracted by Pastor Travis. You got you're good with Megan? Okay. It's all good. We're just organic here. We're just family, right? Um. So so he appears to her and he says, I got this great plan for you. And and you are literally going to give birth to the savior. You gotta understand that the Jews had been looking for a savior. She had heard it her entire life. The savior is coming. A savior is coming. A savior is coming. The Jews believed he would come in, like riding, like on a on a big steed. He'd come and he'd come in, uh, in power, like a warrior, like he'd come, um, like like in battle. Yet, what he came as when he came as a servant—that's why it was so shocking, because he came as a servant. And so Mary, her entire life, heard about this savior that was coming, and then. An angel of God, Gabriel, says, you are going to give birth to the Savior. His name will be Jesus. And she's freaking out, understandably, at this point. But could you imagine that? I wonder what Mary was thinking.
1: This, it can't be right. Who am I? Who am I? Maybe you've made a mistake. So you secure, be not afraid. See, see. And so I see a better way that from my virgin parts to come a son that's God, not just human. My Lord, He knows. He knows my life is his in this realm and his. My soul will magnify the Lord. My spirit, yes, rejoices. He is he who saves. But now, too, he's a little baby. He's a little boy. He's a growing man for whom I Am a mama. You are God, and yet you need nourishment and love and me all my time, my body sacrifice. Lord, forgive me. Now and forever, though you be perfect, I am still severed from perfection. Impatience, irritation, they all still arise despite the fact I know you do not see with only human eyes. Like, why do you go to the temple days away and not mention it? Do you not care? Your mother's heart is so great affected.
0: So Mary has this encounter with Gabriel, and then she gives, we know the story, she gives birth to Jesus and she raises this the Son of God. And his entire life, as Jesus is walking the earth, he is, like we said, he is releasing the love of the Father. He is releasing the hope of heaven. And um, everywhere he goes, he heals the sick. He's raising the dead. I mean, this is incredible. The relationship that Jesus had with his mother was also Really strong. It was, a, You know, a mother has a very strong relationship with her son or, or her daughter. And um, even if you look at the first miracle that Jesus did, right? We know he's at a wedding. He's at a celebration. And they run out of wine. And um, they need more wine. And uh, Mary tells Jesus, we need more wine. I mean, I'm paraphrasing the Chris Ritchie, you know, paraphrase and he goes, it's not my time. My time has not come yet. He's saying, "He's saying, hey, this is not, I'm not doing miracles right now. And what does she do with faith? She looks to the servants and she says, do what he says. And this to me is one of the most insane passages of Scripture in the Bible. That, the, that Jesus, right, the Son of God, God incarnate. Who had a schedule because he said, This is not my time. There he was, he had a schedule from heaven, he had an ordered path. And yet his mother says, In faith, do what he says. She knew that he would perform a miracle. And so Jesus, Savior of the world, all-knowing God, changed his entire course because of his deep relationship with his mother. This is the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us, and we can have access to him in this way, where he partners with us. See, we don't only partner with him. He partners with us. Heaven actually partners with us. Do you you understand this? Like, he changed his destiny. He, He excelled it. He accelerated it, why? Because his mother asked. That's the love he had for her. This is the same love he has for you. And so he went through his life doing great miracles, the Bible says. In fact, we read that there were so many more miracles he did, they're, they're not even enough. To, it would like fill up books. We only have a little taste of what he did. And the little taste is incredible. And yet Jesus says... Because I'm leaving, you can do greater than I. This is our call. So that God would come incarnate as a baby over 2,000 years ago, declaring he was the Son of God. And look, he even said, he dared to tell Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This was shocking. In fact, he calling God Father was shocking. But he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What does that mean? He, he's the exact representation of God. So if you have a view of God, I like, like what Zach says, if your view of God is, a, is like, more like Zeus, then you actually don't know Jesus. Because to know Jesus is to know the Father. This is why this, the, the whole insanity of God uh, striking the world with coronavirus just upsets me. God sent a plague. I, I've heard it more and more, and more recently on Facebook, and I, it's just so weird to me. God sent a plague. God sent a plague, and so that we could turn to Him. God sent a plague, even on His like sons and daughters too, because uh, Christians are getting sick too. If you, I mean, if you want to go there, God didn't send it. But if you want to use that theology, it doesn't even make sense because then you got to throw out Psalm ninety-one, which is Old Covenant. Got to throw. So how much better are we in the New Covenant? You got to throw out. No plague will come near you. Why are Christians getting afflicted with this if this is a plague from God in the first place? Because it's not a plague from God in the second place. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil brings terror. The devil brings harm. The devil brings sickness and death. God brings life and life more abundantly. This is who he is. This is the story of Jesus. God incarnate, like I said, would come and he would say, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's hard for us to grab this concept sometimes. And if you've seen Jesus and you've seen the Father, then you've seen the Holy Spirit because there are three that cannot be separated. That's why when Jesus went to the cross and said, why have you forsaken me? He actually wasn't declaring that God forsook him. The greatest act of love we've ever seen was Jesus coming to earth, laying down his life by hanging on a tree and dying for you and me. And like I said earlier, when he came, I want you to know his message was a message of hope, was a message of heaven, was a message of love. I read this this week. I thought it was very interesting by a theologian called Richard Murray. I'm going to read parts of it. He says, how many times have we been sternly told by fiery evangelists and brimstone theologians that Jesus talked about hell far more than he talked about heaven? Jesus actually talked about heaven much more than he talked about hell. In the gospel, the word heaven is mentioned by Jesus over 120 times. Do you know how many times he mentions hell? About 15. But more than just that, consider the following verse, which describes Jesus' ministry starting after his return from the wilderness. From that time forward, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that hand mean? It means it's right here. It's at hand. You can grab hold of it right now. The kingdom of heaven is here. Heaven was always his constant message. Here's the point. What's the point? I'm not saying there isn't a hell or I'm not even talking about that. What I'm saying is the message of of God, the message of Jesus is the message of hope and love. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance, not the wrath of God. And so Jesus' entire message was come, abide with me, repent, and turn from your sins. In fact, nowhere does Paul, the greatest apostle we've ever known, nowhere does he even mention hell in any of his letters. He's considered the greatest theologian of all of, of the entire New Testament. And, of course, Jesus does refer to hell, of course, and gives us valuable information about it, obviously. But it was not the essence of his message. Heaven was and is the heart of the gospel. Now, I want to read a little bit in the scriptures, too, about Jesus going to the the cross. We're in John 18. I'm reading from the Passion. I'm going to just start. I'm I'm going to probably bounce around, but just... You can either listen or you can read. After Jesus finished his prayer, this is Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. He left with his disciples and went across to the Kidron Valley to a place there was a garden. Judas, the traitor, it's interesting that the Passion says that he's the traitor, um, knew where this place was, for Jesus had gone there often with his disciples. The Pharisees and the leading priests had given Judas a large detachment of Roman soldiers and temple police, to seize Jesus, Judas guided them to the garden, and all of them carrying torches and lanterns, and armed with swords and spears. Of course, we know what happened. And it says, Jesus, knowing full well was about to happen, what was about to happen, went to the garden entrance to meet them. Stepping forward, isn't it interesting that Jesus? It says he went to meet them, and he stepped forward. Isn't that interesting? Stepping forward, uh, he asked, "Who are you looking for?" Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Now, Judas the traitor was among them. He replied, Jesus replied, I am he. At that moment, Jesus spoke the words, listen to this. At the moment Jesus spoke the words, I am he, the mob fell backward to the ground. Do you understand the power in the words of I am he? I am the I am. The power in the words. The mob fell backwards. This is incredible. So once more, Jesus asked them. It's like uh, they fell down. It's like the evangelist goes, uh, pick them up. Benny Hinn does that. They fell down, pick them up. Let's do it again. Right? So it says, it says that um, they got up, right? And, and then Jesus said again, hey, guys, who are you looking for? It's a loaded question. As they stood up, they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I told you that I am the one you are looking for. So if you want me, let these men go home. He said, Let my disciples go home. And then he said, This to the fulfillment, the prophecy has been spoken. Father, not one of these you have given me has been lost. Suddenly, Peter took out his sword. Another dramatic moment in biblical history. Peter took, takes out his sword struck the high priest's servant, slashing off his right ear. Now, not all the Gospels tell us about the servant, but the Gospel of John tells us his name, and it says his name was Malchus. Now, this is interesting. If you do a little study, Malchus means king. Isn't that interesting? Perhaps at that moment of healing his ear, Right? Because we know in, in, in other Gospels it says Jesus picked up his ear, uh, or that it actually it grew back. Right? His ear grew back. Um, it says um, that his name was Malchus, which means king. Perhaps at the moment of healing his ears, Jesus personally revealed himself to Malchus in a supernatural way. The king who heals a king. We can imagine Jesus reaching out his hand to help him up. And in an instant, Malchus believes. And Malchus' ears, both of them, are healed. The king. I think it's so, it's so interesting. There's so many cool tidbits in the Bible if you really dive into them. Everything in the Bible is just amazing. But Peter grabs his sword and just rips off the ears of a king. The ear of a king. And the king of kings... Says, I have authority over your kingdom. And my authority comes in love. And I'm not gonna rebuke you. I'm not gonna say you deserved it. Guess what I'm gonna do? I am going to restore you. This goes with the first words that Jesus spoke on the cross that are recorded Father, forgive them. It's the message of the cross. So it says in verse 11, Jesus ordered Peter, put your sword away. This is, this is the message of the cross, man. Put your sword away. Unless you're talking about the sword of the spirit. This is the Bible, right? Um, and then he says, do you really think I'll avoid suffering which my father has assigned to me? And so then we know the story, right? He gets handed over to Caiaphas, then he gets handed over to Pilate, and then we know if you've seen, if, if you've seen the, especially if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, that movie. Just you guys remember the first time you saw that movie? This has got to be 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. Came out, maybe longer, yeah. I remember sitting in the theater. In fact, I had heard people that had had seen it ahead of time said, you have to really be prepared to watch this movie. And I don't like subtitles. So I'm like, I don't want to go to a movie with subtitles. But I knew I had to see this movie. And it didn't even matter. Like I was just drawn into it. And I remember sitting in the theater weeping. The scene where he's hanging on the cross. And it was so real. And I really think that God, I really think that the Holy Spirit was in that movie as far as with them and to to. Portray a very accurate representation of what actually happened. You know why I know that because the way it moved people, because people went running out of the theater getting saved. I mean, they did. They were, and I was bawling. I got saved again. I was repenting again. (laughs) This is Jesus on the cross for you. It has been. It is believed to be one of the most, the one of the worst ways you can die is to hang on a cross. A cross that was made for criminals. The innocent king died on. Think about it. What was his mother thinking? His own mother had to witness her son, her innocent son, being completely terrorized on a cross. What? went through her mind.
1: Why? Why do you keep going? Do you not see he already bleeds? Why do you continue to rip chunks and bits from his flesh? Is this not the man that healed you and raised your dead? You, you men who walked with him, You know I don't have a voice here. I don't have. Do something. Do something for this man who walked on water and turned your water into wine, who saved your life countless times. You do something. Jesus, Jesus, look at me. Look at me. You can make him stop. You know you can make him stop. Just tell him to relinquish. We can vanish. We can go. I can run with you. I can run with you. And now he hangs and bleeds and can hardly speak. And now he cannot breathe. You You, I, you, brood of vipers! Your father is the devil, you brood of vipers! Look what you've done to him, look what you've done! You've taken him from me, you've taken him away.
0: It says Jesus carried his own cross out to the city to the place called the skull which is also known as Golgotha and there they nailed him to the cross crucified with two others. The mockery and he says on that cross father forgive them they don't know what they're doing. And then it says in an incredible act of humanity that we can relate to. He says, I am thirsty. Your Savior on the cross is thirsty. And it is isn't interesting that this is the same. This is the same Jesus who we read earlier in the Gospels offering his, his life, To the woman at the well and saying, you can thirst no more. Come to me. I will quench all your thirst. And this is the same Jesus that now says, I am thirsty. And then as he pulls himself up for another breath, He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he probably didn't have enough more in him to keep going. He was saying an old psalm. He was starting an old psalm, Psalm 92, a psalm of David. And who knows, like I said, he might have been wanting to say the entire thing, but he couldn't. Because you can only say so much. You have to pull yourself up to speak. It'd be, this, it'd be the equivalent of, this is why people, listen, people get this wrong theologically. And I'm going to tell you to set the record straight. Most of you in our church know this. There's no way that God the Father turned his back on his son. It is not even possible. Because here's the deal. There is no separation between us and the love of God. The Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God. If that is so clear, then how in the world could God, who is love, not a characteristic, it's not one of his characteristics, he is the essence of love. Love is actually God. How could then love turn his back and separate from his son? It's actually impossible. There's never been a separation between the three. And if you read the psalm, Psalm 21, a psalm of David, in the middle of the psalm, he says, God never turned his back on him. This is the message that Jesus was saying. It'd be the equivalent today of me starting a song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, and I just stopped. And your mind immediately goes to start singing it, and you know exactly what the rest of that song is. It's the same thing. He was declaring... The psalm of David, that my God has not forsaken me. Now when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they divided up his clothes into four shares, one for each of them. It says, Mary... Jesus' mother was standing next to his cross along with Mary's sister. So when Jesus looked down and saw the disciple he loved standing with her, he said, Mother, look, John will be a son to you. And then he said, John, look, she will be a mother to you. From that day on, John accepted Mary into his home as one of his own family. And then the earth stops. The king died. And as hell rejoiced, heaven knew what was coming. We'll give you three days of celebration. That's it. For the entire eternity, you get three days. You can celebrate. That's it. Because guess what? Sunday's coming. It's it's like the worst nightmare. Sunday's coming. It's their worst nightmare. The very early Sunday morning before sunrise, Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb. And when she arrived, she discovered that the stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb had been moved away. She went running as fast as she could to go tell Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. She told them, they've taken the Lord's body from the tomb and we don't know where it is. Then Peter and the other disciples jumped up and ran to the tomb to go see for themselves. They started out together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He didn't even into the tomb, but peeked in and saw that the linen of the clothes were lying there. Then Peter came behind him and went right into the tomb. He noticed the linen clothes lying there, but the burial cloth that Jesus um, had on his head had been rolled up and placed separate from the other clothes. Woo! Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went in, and after one look, it says, he believed. They, under, they hadn't understand the scriptures prophesied that was destined to, to, to rise from the dead. Puzzled, and Peter, the disciples, then left and went back to their homes. Mary arrived back at the tomb broken and sobbing. She stopped to peer inside, and through her tears, she saw two angels in dazzling white robes sitting where Jesus' body had laid, and on the head, and one on the feet. Dear woman, why are you crying, they asked. Mary answered, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. She turned around to leave, and there was Jesus standing in front of her. She didn't recognize him. He said to her, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary answered, thinking he was only the gardener. Sir, if you have taken his body elsewhere, tell me, and I will go. Mary, Jesus interrupted her, turning to face him. She said, Rabbi. He did it. I wonder what his mother would think. We don't have any recording of Jesus and his mother, but I wonder what she would. Have thought seeing her resurrected son.
1: My son? My son, my king, how much did I grieve? Your act was, it was so greatly beyond my understanding, so much. Did I grieve? But look, you are such a victorious adversary to death. Death, you could never hold my son. He is the one true King, risen from now unto eternity. Jesus, precious Jesus. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Nothing now can affect your grandeur, the grandeur of your glory, the power of your provisional might for all the souls to come. Salvation, you've won. He's won. And though you've come through my womb, I look now and see the Father our Father, in you. Can it be that though you are my offspring, you've come to father me? I love you. I love you now and forever as you go into eternity. I love you as my son and my king eternally.
0: I love in the gospel of Mark, and we'll wrap this up in celebration. When Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and she saw the empty tomb, Mark records. It says the women were startled and amazed. And the angel of the Lord says, don't be afraid. I love how he does this, right? Right? Don't be afraid. How many times have God said that to us? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know who you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. But he isn't here. He has risen victoriously. Come on. He has risen victoriously. Listen. This God, Son of God, came to earth in human form. Delivering a message of love and life and courage and grace and hope. Saying the kingdom of God is at hand, which means it's right here in front of you. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Miracle after miracle, the Bible says... There are verses in the Bible that say everyone he prayed for were healed. Woo! Come on, Sadie, get up here. and Come on, band, let's go. We're going we're to end with this seas of crimson again. Victoriously. But he took on the form of man and something we don't understand, fully man, fully God. We still don't gasp, grasp it, right? And it says, he became sin for you. Tortured. Beaten. Laughed at. Spit on. Betrayed. In fact, the betrayal was so deep, not only was it just Judas, one of his trusted twelve, but the same people that a week earlier had cheered for him on Palm Sunday. They had cheered for him. This is our Messiah. The same people, the next week as he hung on the cross... Cheered at him and said, "Crucify him!" And on the cross, he says, "Father, forgive them; they don't know what they're doing." And then, Earth stops as he. The and the, you know it's interesting. The Bible says that. Before he died, it says he bowed his head and then he gave up his spirit. This is interesting. There's something symbolic about this because listen, And then the Bible says, come on, for three days as the earth shook, and as hell thought they had conquered him, and as the enemy thought he had won, it was just a few hours before. Guess what? Sunday's coming. And on Sunday, they went to the tomb, and their God was gone. He wasn't there. And look, you guys ready? And here's what the angel says. He says, don't be afraid. I know that you're here looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen victoriously. Look. See the place where they laid him. Run and tell his disciples. Look. We gotta run and tell the world that Jesus is no longer in the grave, but that he is risen. Tell the world, tell the world that Jesus is alive. Tell the world that hope is in it is at hand. Tell the world that heaven is at hand. Tell the world. Come on, tell the world in love. Release the love of Jesus, the message of the cross.